Behind the story, it's all on the Author's Hour. You'll get to hear the authors talking about their books and the journey behind how it all began. Join the opportunity to hear the insights on what inspired them to write it. Now, here is your host, Wayne G. Barber. Good morning, America. Tuesday morning, 9.05. Another edition of the award-winning Author's Hour. On WNRI.com and 13 other avenues. You can also communicate with the show at WayneWNRI at Yahoo.com live. One of the three computers right here. And today we have an outstanding guest. Matter of fact, he's on the line right now. He's very punctual. And the name of the book, I have the advanced reader's copy. I had to wait for it to get on the market. Voyage of Mercy. By Stephen Puleo. Uh, I believe it's book number seven on his resume now. And I cannot wait to dissect this author's mind. A good, fantastic book. Uh, I am partial. I really enjoy historical fiction, especially on this subject matter. Uh, the first part of the show is going to be brought to you by Association of Rhode Island Authors. Uh, 377 members strong. Fastest growing group in New England that I'm aware of. And they're great opportunities. If you're going to be in this business or have a manuscript that you're really thinking of getting out there, whether giving the pitch to a publisher or going the uh, digital route on your own, uh, you really should think about it. And also, happy birthdays that came in today uh, for today's show on WayneWNRIDeYahoo.com. I'd better get them out of the way before I get into this in-depth interview. Jody Knowles turns 34 today. Tommy Blackwell, 48. A friend of mine, Stephanie Brigatti Turbush from Long Island, turns 32. And congratulations. I believe she's expecting again. Uh, Wednesday, author B.J. Knapp, besides the music and a frequent guest on the Author's Hour. And Lloyd Dugan, one of our avid listeners of the Author's Hour on TuneIn Radio. From Dyer, Indiana. Association of Rhode Island Authors. Anyone can join the Association of Rhode Island Association of Authors. But you'll find that a published author and an aspiring author with a complete manuscript will benefit most from our membership. In addition, your membership fee helps support all Rhode Island's most talented writers. Benefits of being an ARA membership include networking with dozens of local published authors at our monthly meetings that are always held on the second Thursday of the month. Presentations from industry pros on a wide array of published topics, exclusive invitations to speak and conduct your presentations at libraries and other venues, advance notice of any expos, festivals, and any other event where books are sold. A reduced table fee at the Rhode Island Authors Expo, a website link in IRA's members directory and so much more. Check us out at www.riauthors.org I did. Also we rebooted with great success our Lively Literati and that's held on the last Wednesday of the month which is going to come out March 25th with Chris Pinacera, a sci-fi author we have, will be our guest author and then it's open mic. New England's golden years of racing, their history and a glimpse into the future. 
This new book fuels appreciation for female races and New England racetracks. Local radio host of the Race Chatter offers an inside look into short track racing in New England. This book is available at Coastal181.com, a special place at 719 Front Street, Barrington Books, all locations, Book Lovers Gourmet, 55 Main Street, Webster, Mass, WordAssociation.com, Debbie's Breakfast Place at 804 Park Avenue, Pourings and Passages at 183 Main Street, Danielson, The Aquatic Country Store, Harvest Moon Health Foods, and Belu's Flowers and Gift Shop, also available at all Little General stores. Thank you for purchasing the book. And if you stop by the station, I'll gladly sign your copy. Little General Stores is one in your neighborhood since 1970. Seven great franchises, locally owned, local taxpayers. Money orders, gift cards, most locations have a propane exchange and also the sponsor of Recipe for a Good Day right here on WNRI every Wednesday at 4 o'clock. Little General has some specials. Ham off the bone at $4.99 a pound. Sirloin tip steaks at $7.99 a pound. And Little General's own brand of bulky rolls and dynamite rolls that's the big six pack two for five dollars at all little general stores since 1970 there's one in your neighborhood and they're all open eight days a week Limousine and transportation uh, transportation services provided by cj trans of fairbanks today authorshourbookstore.com new and slightly read books if you heard our author interview on our Author's Hour every Tuesday at 9 a.m., we will stock it. Call Wayne, WNRI at Yahoo.com for any locator service or a closeout book. Again, it's the new Author's Hour Bookstore.com. On the phone right now, we have our first guest today on the Author's Hour on Smokin' 99.9 FM and other avenues. And the name of the book is Voyage, Voyage of Mercy by Stephen Puleo, author of Dark Tide and American Treasures. In the 1800s, the interactions between nations consisted of pure political strategy, warfare, and occasional trade. The concept of humanitarianism, aid did not exist yet and likely would have been viewed as a big, big weakness. In Voyage of Mercy, the USS Jamestown, the Irish famine, and the remarkable story of America's first humanitarian mission. This book is put out by St. Martin's Press, and on the line right now we have Stephen Puleo. How are you today? Good morning, Wayne. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much for getting this book out there. I love historical fiction. As soon as I got this in the mail, I called the publicist and wanted to get you on the following day. And she says, Wayne, keep your water in your body. She says, it's not released yet. You're going to have to wait like all of us. So then I looked at the front of the cover and it said advanced reader copy. But here we are. Well, it's out as of today, and it is it is historical nonfiction, Wayne. This is a completely true story. Just wanted to clarify that okay. for your listeners. Uh, yeah, so uh, the book is out today. Very excited about it. Um, it's at bookstores everywhere, and uh, I think it's just a great story, and readers will like it. It's inspirational. 
Um, I call it a story of, of hope and generosity and goodwill against this backdrop of really unfathomable despair, um, which is the Irish famine. Two main characters that you could have wrote a separate book just on each one. Sea Captain Robert Bennett Forbes of Boston, a collector and keepers of documents, uh, a bit of a hoarder, and then the Reverend, uh, Reverend Theobald Mathau, a temperance priest. Did you touch on these two characters in one of your other six novels that you uh, did, uh, books that you did, and then had to elaborate on them? Well, I had briefly come across Forbes in my book, A City So Grand, and um, he is the captain of the Jamestown that takes the, it's the first ship that originally goes to Ireland in March of 1847. So, you know, 5,000 ships leave Ireland um, with people fleeing from the Great Potato Famine. The Jamestown is the first that goes the other way, uh, and it kicks off this unprecedented um, active charity by the American people over the next 18 months. And um, Forbes, the Forbes character in the Jamestown mission really interested me. And I, I said, I need to do a little bit more research on this. I need to figure out what was behind it. And lo and behold, found out um, it was really not only the first humanitarian mission by the United States, but the world's first humanitarian mission. Um, it's really a tale of the American people from big cities, from small towns, from frontier outposts, uh, who donated food to Ireland over a period of about, oh, 15 to 18 months in 1847 and some of 1848. And so it's, it's one of those inspiring stories that's kicked off by the Jamestown voyage, uh, the USS Jamestown, a retrofitted warship uh, that has its guns removed uh, so it has room for food. And it leaves um, Boston on March 28th of 1847, as I said, the first relief ship to head to Ireland. Okay, now get our uh, listeners, our worldwide audience up to date here on American history. We had just experienced the War of 1812. We had just gone through that. And locally here in New England, we went through the year with no summer in 1816. So all the new uh, immigrants that came over from uh, Europe at that time experienced the real hard times of a no-growing season in New England in 1816. So they were well aware of what possibly was taking place with their former neighbors and family members back home. There was one part in the book that uh, it, it resonated with me was the communications this happened so fast over there that some of the reports come out and the flowers were all on the potato plants in the fields and it looked like it was going to be a bumper crop and then overnight everything turned black. That's correct. So the summer of 1846, um, that's exactly what happened. It, it had been a very poor crop in 1845. The Irish were hoping for a much better potato crop in 1846, and it was um, luxurious, as they said, and the fungus hits very, very quickly, and over about a two- or three-week period, um, most of the potato plants turned black in Ireland, which makes for a very, very difficult fall 
1846. And then a very bad winter sets in early. There's snow, cold, wind, just terrible weather. Uh, Reports start coming back from Ireland, but at first the Americans, uh, most people in America feel they're a little bit exaggerated because there have been reports of famine and hunger in Ireland before. Finally, on January 20th, uh, the first ship uh, arrives in Boston Harbor um, with news of just how bad things are in Ireland. And that begins this effort uh, among the United States government and the United States people to begin this, um, this relief effort. And so President James K. Polk, um, senators such as Daniel Webster and John C. Calhoun and Henry Clay, who's retired at the time, and others, uh, organize a committee at the government level for the relief um, of Ireland. And they urge all American towns to set up their own committees to collect food uh, for the Irish relief effort. And lo and behold, they do. Um, it, what, what really inspires me about the story, Wayne, is the actions of what I'll call these thousands of other real-life characters, right? They make up the single collective character of the American people. Um, they come together, they they contribute food, that's extraordinary enough, but they, the nature of what they donate is extraordinary. You know, today, you know, we make contributions with our credit cards, so we drop off of, you know, some canned goods at a, at a food pantry, all of which is great, but think about what they did in those days. They actually you know, furrowed the ground, they nurtured the plants, they harvested the crops. And then they took those goods, they packaged them in burlap sacks, they packaged them in wooden kegs, they deliver them by wagon to river ports, rafts and small boats take those those goods, you know, down the Erie Canal, down the Ohio River, etc. And from there, the food makes its way to major Atlantic ports, New York, Boston, Philadelphia, Baltimore, so you have these farmers and planters in Ohio and Pennsylvania and Michigan and Tennessee, you know, western New York, um, of course, along the New England area, um, all the way out to what we would call the West then, right? Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, along the Mississippi, literally taking foods out of the mouths of their own family members uh, or food they would normally sell at market and shipping it to strangers thousands of miles away. Totally unheard of up to that point. Okay, I have an email here from Lewis L. from Cheyenne, Wyoming, and he says, I'm a local history buff on this area. And he said, did your uh, author in his research stumble across what the federal government, United States opinion was on this relief effort And at the same time, in 1846, the USA was involved with their large land acquisition of the Oregon Territories from England. And that put a hamper on their effort, too, on their priorities. Did you run across any of that in your research? Yes, absolutely. So the Oregon issue does come up um, with England. But this is what's kind of interesting about this effort. So initially, the United States Congress debates the possibility of donating $500,000 in cash to the Irish relief effort. Um, And there's lots of debate about it. You know, why is the United States doing it when Britain should be doing it for their own territory of Ireland? 
Um, but there's this real feeling in Congress that that should happen. President Polk gives a signal that he's going to veto that because he believes it's unconstitutional to use taxpayer money um, to help another nation, to aid another nation. And so what the Congress then decides to do is to turn over two warships um, and make them available to civilian captains, and they do that with the USS Jamestown, um, and they do that with the uh, USS Macedonian in New York. Macedonian get, gets kind of tied up with bureaucratic hassles, and the Jamestown is the ship that moves forward. And so the government's real contribution here is, one, turning this warship over in an unprecedented way for the first time ever um, for a humanitarian effort, and two, um, as I pointed out, this committee that's urging ordinary Americans to set up relief um, committees all across the country to help with this effort. And so this political issue with the British kind of takes a back seat here. Um, it's pretty extraordinary at this point because you're right, there is some talk that the, the discussions with the British could break down if we help the Irish too much. But there's this humanitarian street that I think wins out in the end. Okay, get back to the fantastic character here, uh, Robert Bennett Forbes. He had a nickname that you say in the book is uh, Black Ben was one of his nicknames. He was collector and keepers. In today's day and age, he'd be considered a hoarder. And he made a tremendous fortune very early in his sea captain days in the opium business in his 20s. And then he lost it all by bad investments with businesses, then rebounded a second time. He was going to call it quits, and he was down to nothing in weight and everything else, plus, you know, married, the children, stuff like that. And yet he still had the fortitude to come forward to follow this through because it was the right thing to do. Uh, sorry, I thought you were going to ask a question. Yes, you're exactly right. Um, Forbes has this kind of Hollywood life, right? You point out. It's an era when most people didn't venture too far from their hometowns. Um, throughout the course of his life, he visits five continents and logs thousands of miles at sea. Um, probably as many miles at sea as a ship captain as anybody uh, in his era. First crosses the Atlantic at age six with his mom nearly drowns when the ship was swamped. You know, he becomes a cabin boy on a, on a trip to China at the age of 13, commands his first ship to China at the age of 20, um, makes his comment that between the ages of 17 and 27, he was on dry land for maybe about six months and at sea the rest of the time. Wow. Um, be becomes, yeah, becomes, as you say, um, uh, really, really wealthy, before he's 30, loses it all, recoups his fortune before he's 40 after he goes to China in, in the opium trade. And he, he gets home, and at that point, his wife, you know, they've already lost two children. Um, he has left his wife, he went on these trips while his wife was home with their eight-month-old. And so when he comes back, his wife is really interested in him staying home. Uh, and Forbes really feels this as you say, moral, um, I just, I guess, moral imperative to help Ireland. And, and the quote he, he gives when somebody asks him why he wants to, to lead this mission is, it's not an everyday matter to see a nation starving. 
The other main character, the Reverend uh, Temperance Priest, uh, Reverend uh, Mathau, crusades against uh, drinking and alcoholism. In that era, that must have been a very interesting life that he had. Home parish of Cork and Black of 47. And again, all source materials in this book are the truth. I got into a little bit on the USS Jamestown and the condition of that vessel. It's a wonder they even attempted. It leaked so badly. As much as 10 inches of water an hour were leaking into the boat around the ruddy case and stuff like that. That must have been a full-time job just keeping the water out of the boat. Yeah, I think so. I think it was a very tough voyage across. Um, there are a few times when the weather is so bad and there's ice and there's freezing. Remember, it's March, so it's still very, very cold in the North Atlantic. And as you say, um, the leaking and, and the bailing that's going on to keep the ship afloat is incredible. And meanwhile, of course, it's laden down with food, um, really precious food that's going to be delivered to Cork. And so it's what's interesting or, or even more extraordinary is that there are, yes, Forbes is an experienced captain. Some of his staff, the upper echelons of his staff are experienced captains. But many of the people, uh, many of the crew members on the ship are inexperienced. Um, most of the real tough sailors, Navy experienced um, sailors are on ships that are involved in the United States in the Mexican War, right? That's what's happening at that time. And so Forbes uh, really digs up this inexperienced crew, volunteer crew, and so between him and his and his lead officers have to really maintain discipline and keep the crew uh, in shape in, in order to make this voyage successful, which he does. Now you touched on something uh, until this day, there's still you know, animosity between Ireland and England. And us over here in the USA and our generation find it hard to understand in this day and age. But there was many people that believed that uh, probably enough food was available in Ireland. But that particular system that they had would control by England. All of their bounty had to be shipped to England. And then the businessmen and the lords mocked up what they wanted to make it profit and then sent it back to Ireland where they exploded prices on it, which they knew the Ireland people could not afford. And then the lords moved in and just gobbled up, uh, of, you know, uh, got rid of these people that were running these farms and just gobbled up all the landscape for themselves. Yeah, so you're, you've, you've hit it exactly right. The um, Most of the property, of course, at Ireland is owned by absentee landlords um, from England, and the Irish worked this land and, and grew these potatoes. Um, but I think really one of the saddest parts of this whole story, maybe even disgraceful parts of this whole story, was you're, you're right, food was uh, essentially exported out of Ireland um, to be placed on the open market. And... So there are these scenes uh, during the famine when um, there are carts of food being driven, you know, down roadways going past starving peasants and, um, you know, being taken to the open market, you know, in England. And then in some cases, ironically enough, they were 
actually shipped back to Ireland uh, at prices that were way too high for the Irish to afford. Uh, different grains and, and um, corn and things like that after the after the potato famine uh, failed. And so this notion that you had food leaving the country in which you know starvation was rampant, attended diseases with that starvation was rampant, um, is, it, it was a source of great bitterness. The, the, I think any discussion of Irish history, right, begins with and is driven by the events of the famine. Um, it really is the famine that, that poisoned the Irish relationship with England for 175 years. Uh, it's a, really a very long time. Uh, there's a great deal of bitterness, as you point out. And um, like I said, one of, the, one of the worst parts of that was the fact that food had been uh, essentially exported by landlords from Ireland during the famine itself. I just finished watching a series on PBS, Masterpiece Theatre, which I truly enjoy, on Victoria. And uh, the part of a, where he married her cousin husband, uh, Prince Albert. And one of the episodes, this is where I got exposed to this book right here. They actually took a short trip to Ireland, which was unheard of in that day, for royalty to step down that low to go to the people out in Ireland. And then Albert went on his own from one of these big estates in the show and witnessed what was happening to the people in the country. And then he got on his horse and went back to the prime minister's estate and was going to tear him apart for the inhumane conditions that he was aware of, the prime minister, and participated in on these land acquisitions. It was amazing. Yeah, that's right. Lord John Russell um, had this very um, laissez-faire attitude and, and wanted the markets to control uh, the prices of things and, and didn't want too much food being placed on the uh, open market for free. Uh, it takes a long time for him and Charles Trevelyan, who's the, uh, the person in charge of relief for the British, for example, to open up soup kitchens. They don't do that until very late in the spring of 1847. Uh, when when already thousands uh, have died, and so I think, um, yeah, that's that's been part of the legacy, you know, of this famine, and, and it, it really, as I said, has the famine itself of a great hunger, as the Irish call it, you know, has really seared itself into Irish memory, into folk memory, um, really hurt relationships with England, England um, led to widespread emigration from Ireland, right. Um, and so all of that, that phantom's ghost, as one person said, the, the famine is the, um, has been the unseen guest at every Irish dinner, you know, since 1847. This person said that around, around 1999 or 2000. And I think that's certainly the case here. Did you get a copy of this out to Hollywood? Uh, I believe my publisher has, yes. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. I think this would be a perfect story for PBS. I really do. Well, I, I hope so. Um, the book's already gotten some very good, you know, early reviews, for, you know, from Kirkus and, and 
and, and authors and things like that and book lists and so we'll see how things go lots of appearances uh, um, you know coming up over the next uh, two months two and a half months for me so I think um, I'll be looking forward to telling the story are you going to be doing any type of book signings in the New England area yeah many in Massachusetts um, I am going to be uh, at one in um, in the Providence uh, uh, area so I think that'll I'll be looking forward to that that's going to be I believe on April 21st um, and so I'll be looking forward to that, but mostly in the New England area. Is all of this information on your calendar for book signings and stuff on your website or some other area? It is. You, yep, you can go to um, www.stephenculio, that's Stephen with a P-H, and Pulio, P-U-L-E-O, dot com. And uh, all of my speaking appearances uh, are there. So yeah, you'll see you'll see the whole thing. Now the big question: What are you working on now? So I am working on um, my eighth book. Uh, a little too premature to talk about the topic. It is um, it'll be historical nonfiction, my kind of narrative style of nonfiction, um, and we'll see where things go from there. Very very excited about the next project, uh, you know, as well as Voyage of Mercy. I'd like to uh, publicly announce right over here the author's hour. I love his uh, fiction and historical books and stuff like this and nonfiction. Either one. I, I like both of them. And uh, this particular book, Voyage of Mercy, is going to be right up there in the top of my collection. Well, I really appreciate that. Wayne. Very nice to hear. Thank well, you. Well done. Well done. And thank you for writing this book. Thank you, sir. Okay. You have one of the best days of your life. You too, Wayne. Thank you so much. I hope everybody enjoyed that. Harvest Moon Health Foods will be open at 10 o'clock this morning, and they have new arrivals every day. Uh, I get my elderberry pills up there, my cranberry pills to fight these viruses and flus, and so much more. Harvest Moon Health Foods, Route 21, Unit 4, Colonial Plaza in Putnam, Connecticut. 860-928-2352. Healthy foods for a healthy lifestyle, gluten-free products, over a hundred dried herbs, nuts, and seeds. Healthy snacks help your body to reinforce its immune response. Hemopathic and herbal allergy relief. We stock quality brand manufacturers, including Against the Grain, Rudy's, Nature's Plus, Batlean's Organic Oils, Food for Life, and so much more. Natural honey and organic coconut sugar, raw milk. Elderberry for flu remedies, consumer-friendly hours on Monday through Wednesday, 10 to 6 p.m., Thursday to Saturday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., and Sundays, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. HarvestMoonHealthFoods.net, Unit 4, Colonial Plaza, Putnam, Connecticut. 860-928-2352, proud sponsor of Brian Tag and the number 9 in the late model at Thompson Speedway. If you have a favorite author or favorite book you'd like to have reviewed or interviewed on the Author's Hour, communicate at WayneWNRI at Yahoo.com. And welcome aboard again, Absolute Autoglass at 473 St. Paul Street, North Smithfield, and running now the second phase of the Providence Journal Best in Business Awards. They need your vote. 
Absolute Auto Glass at 401-766-2600. Serving Northern Rhode Island and Southern Mass. Free quotes over 23 years in business with a high-quality owner-operated shop. Their reputation is unmatched in the business, backed by a lifetime warranty. RV and mirror replacements, free mobile services, or in-house, including sunroofs at Absolute Auto Glass. At 473 St. Paul Street, 401-766-2600. And let Steve or Casey know that you heard the ad on WNRI. I had a tremendous event uh, Sunday afternoon up in uh, Wilsonville, Connecticut. Uh, a historical little village in the town of Thompson, one of the ten villages, with the Historical Society, 77 participants. It would really surprise me on a 34-degree day, but it was bluebird skies. But the same scenario happened when we all got done. There was a couple of people kicking their tires with the excitement and slamming the hood. And you know what I'm going to say. They forgot their keys and key fob in the car. Now, who are they going to call? An ex-wife and get reminded of two late alimony payments or Ghostbusters? Nope. They should be calling Larry's 24-Hour Towing. South Main Street in Pasco. Same home as Boroughville Motor Sales at 401-568-6286. Lockout service, jump starting, maybe you need just a surface charge to get you going. You left the dome light on, something like that. Or you just purchased a vehicle having a great year, making this country great again. In 2020, you did your taxes, and so now you bought a car, truck, or an RV, or a motorcycle that's unregistered, and you want to get it home. Give Larry's 24-hour towing a call. They'll take care of the rest. 401-568-6286. Whether it's a flatbed or on the hook, they've got you covered. Also, expert bodywork, insurance estimates, and used auto and truck sales with new arrivals every day. They had a couple yesterday on Facebook. I did a share for them. Both of them were a really good consumer price at $3,200 for good quality vehicles, all inspected, ready to go. At Barrowville Motor Sales and Larry's 24-hour towing, 401-568-6286. We have on our schedule uh, about 42 Association of Rhode Island authors. Uh, you can meet in the flesh. If you bought one of their books, they'll gladly sign it for you. Our March 28th, that's a Saturday, at the Warwick Public Library in Rhode Island uh, from 10 to 3 p.m. That's 600 Sandy Lane, Warwick, Rhode Island. And uh, local Warwick authors and other Rhode Island authors will be there. Again, a reminder, the Lively Literati is the last Wednesday of the month, March 25th. Uh, Chris Penicera is going to be our guest on that, then it's open mic. Uh, I'm going to put a shout out to you. Uh, we'll get the 377 or more authors and members of our association right now. And uh, four times a year, I'm on the board of that uh, particular organization, and we discuss whatever you know comes up with our seven board members. If any of our members of ARIA want me to bring up a subject or something, send me a private email at WayneW1RI, Yahoo.com. I'll look at it, and if I think it's appropriate, I'll bring it up with the other board members tonight for you. 
uh, one of my constituents, as you would say. Now, you talk about a sale and a business-savvy woman in the book business. We're talking celebration their 25th anniversary. In this day and age, to be in business that long with all the big box stores, Book Lovers Gourmet at 55 East Main Street in Webster will be opening today right at 10 o'clock, 508-949-6232. I'm sure she's making that fresh coffee right now. Uh, BookLoversGourmet.com, again, 25th anniversary celebration uh, from March 3rd to March 7th, all week long. Starting today, unveiled on the Author's Hour. Join us for cake, raffles, giveaways, and a whole lot of fun. 25% off all new and used books. Now, leave some of those used books for me because I, I really get a treasure trove out of that. Plus a chance to win a $25 gift card each individual day with any purchase. They also feature a great children's section, uh, puzzles, artwork, uh, gifts, you name it. Plus, they feature Hogan Brothers Coffee Roasters, which is also available to take home by the pound. All the pastries are homemade by Phyllis Bakery. All this, you name it, scones, biscotti, bear claws, lemon squares, frozen hot chocolate, dark or white. That and so much more at Book Lovers Gourmet. Check it out on Facebook, enter her webpage, get on her constant contact email list. She's always updating it daily. New arrivals, locate a service. What a shop she's got. Book Lovers Gourmet, Debbie Horan, what a great store. Since 1995, and that is 508-949-6232. And also our great group of authors that are listening right now on the Authors Hour, if you just got a book or maybe a book that's a year old, you want to do a book signing, get in touch with Debbie up at Book Lovers Gourmet. She's very receptive, and if she really likes it, She'll buy a copy or work out a consignment deal or whatever, and she'll get it right on the shelf for you. What's coming up on the author's hour? I've got one, two, three emails from all around the country. I got one here from Arkansas, one from Utah, and one from Arizona. And it looks like they're listening on TuneIn Radio. It seems to be a popular avenue for a lot of the shows now. Okay, uh, what's coming up? Next week we have, oh, book number three. Uh, the Pentinent, book number three by author Keith Carrario. And what an exciting guest he is. Very, very informed. And we get a lot of uh, questions on the process when Keith is on the show. Cannot wait to get him back on. Now, following that, we have a rare appearance the director of the Tomaquart Indian Museum down in Charleston, Rhode Island in Arcadia. What a book this is. I, I got a copy. It's a key into the language of America, which is Roger Williams' translation of the local languages to English. What a book this is. Cannot wait to dissect it over the air on the author's hour. J.F. Collin, one of the most renowned lawyers in New York, a copyright expert lawyer especially, also is an author. 
she sent me her first romance book, Flirtation on the Hudson. Cannot wait to get her on. Surviving Your Dream Vacation and Elderly Parents with All Their Marbles by Pam Carey. <laughs> That's going to be a fun, fun show. Uh, Vikings, one of my specials on the History Channel that I talk about numerous times on my radio shows. This is how the power of WNRI.com works. The one, one of the best books ever written on the Vikings was by Magnus Magnuson. And this is not a book that was made last year. This was made years ago. It was sent to my house to read by the author. And he like, dared me to get him on the show and talk about it because I liked the Vikings so much. Well, I took him up on it. We're going to have him on the show. And today we had Voyage of Mercy. I had to wait until it's released. So now it's released. It's out there for everybody to enjoy. And uh, I was very patient on that. State of the Heart is another book coming up. And I better take care of Alex and Nelson DeMille. Uh, New York Times bestsellers. Their new book is out now. And I apologize for not getting on one yet. The Deserter by Alex and Nelson DeMille. On the Verge. Uh, Tales of the Paranormal by a local witch right here from Massachusetts, S.M. Nevermore. And I met her at like a, a witch's book club over in Uxbridge, Mass. at a touch of magic. That is another story for another day. And there's so many. I think right now we have about 40 books to go through. Matter of fact, I've got three lists on them. But that's not exactly what we want to do today. And i got to get some bills paid here. And we're going to have the owner of Dede's Kitchen, a lady from Africa, uh, wants to do an interview with me so she can do her own commercial herself. And we're talking about the proprietor of Dede's Kitchen. And Dede's Kitchen is a uniquely authentic African and soul food restaurant. All the dishes are freshly prepared with a home-cooked taste that upholds the best of West African cuisine right here in Woonsocket at 206 North Main Street across from the fire department. And they're open seven days a week at 11.30 a.m. Daily specials Monday through Friday start at $5, very affordable, to a high of $11.49. A lot of dishes with spinach. A lot of dishes with kale. Those are the healthy things, superfoods, that everybody's enjoying right now. For the best ethnic soul food dishes, it's Detta's Kitchen, right there on North Main Street in Woonsocket. Let me give you that number again for a delivery, 401-767-3459. We'll get her in here, we'll do an interview, and then we'll edit it and get it on there in her own voice. Now, you're talking about new businesses coming into the Woonsocket area. The renaissance has begun. And uh, we're a city on the move. And we have an item that's been very popular on American Pickers with Mike and Frank and Storage Wars and other cable shows. The fines that they find in these storage units and in people's estates of older sneakers. And the value is going through the roof on them now. And their fashion statements. So, we have a destination business now on 10 Main Street, Woonsocket, right here inside of the New York Lunch, very iconic location right there. The sneaker outlet is your one-stop shop 
for everything from sneakers of old to sneakers of new. On top of the sale of new release sneakers, we also specialize in dead stock and refurbished sneakers. We also offer proper shoe care and refurbishment treatments by our trained experts there, as well as a trade-in-trade program. We the plug for shoes at the sneaker outlet. Uh, just think of that. The Oscars were on three weeks ago on that Sunday show. And uh, all the guys and uh, were coming in there with those very expensive tuxedos. And then the camera caught it. They were wearing sneakers because it's a fashion statement now. And you might want to trade your $300 pair of Michael on, or Nikes or Michael Jordans for a $900 pair. This is what this store is all about. Anything in sneakers, any brand. Not just Nike. Some of those old Converse ones are worth some money, too. But these are the experts at the Sneaker Outlet. 401-648-1242. Two consecutive emails. Wayne, at certain times, you include poetry part of your show. Have you discontinued that process? Okay, this is out of Telephone Man. All these poems are by a local author right here in Northern Rhode Island, Mary Ellen, Mary Ann Mayer. I had her on on her shuttle book, but she also does poetry. And of the whole collection, of, I have I have a poetry, over thirty books now since I've been on the air in a couple of years. I keep going back to this book; it just hits me. It really does. I love her style of writing. Wiring Point Judith. I was loaned to the line gang, and all winter in a bitter cold, we ran cable. Ran 100 pair, two miles. Hands freezing, working in gloves with no fingers. I climbed every third pole on Point Judith Road and down the escape road to the water at Great Island. Another crew took it from there, laid it underwater. I remember lunch. At Georgia's of Galilee, how the heat slammed your face, how good that felt, then the chowder. And that is by Marianne Mayer. Nice, nice poem. That, those areas down there, <laughs> I have not gone a summer in 52 years of marriage without going down to uh, Galilee to enjoy my favorite scenes down there, do some fishing, and one of our prime spots is Champlin's uh, Seafood right across from Georgia's. And uh, very, very good. Okay, uh, things are coming in. Oh, another book. It's going to be on in three weeks. I had that cancellation of an author. So we're going to have a world-renowned author personality. How about somebody that's been personally in charge over 3 million people in 11 countries with pro-American immigration? That's the name of the book. We are going to have George Farrig. F-A-R-A-G, Ph.D., United States Immigration and Visa Expert. You don't get any higher than this. And he's going to be here right on the author's hour in two weeks. I've got the confirmation, the contracts assigned, and illegal immigrants should not be fast-tracked to citizenship. That and so much more. If you have questions for that author... Or that subject matter that you want me to ask. Wayne, WNRI, Yahoo.com. 
on pro-American immigration. And George will be here uh, one, two, two weeks. So that's going to be the 17th. He'll be right here on the 17th. And we had to squeeze him in because we had a cancellation with a, another author on that. Uh, Green Dragon Comics is closed today. Uh, but they are open, let me see here, um, Wednesday through Friday, 12 to 8, Saturday and Sunday, 10 to 6. Green Dragon Comics and Collectibles. We are at the Dragon. That's her slogan. That's her trademark. Once you get at the intersection of Route 100 and 102 in Chapachet, Rhode Island, you have to stop at the stop sign, and you'll see the inflated Green Dragon right there. Left-hand side of the bank, right there in Chapachet. They sell comic books, board games, role-playing games. A subject that I got really educated on in the last three years that she's been sponsoring, Magic the Gathering. And also Fortnite that my grandson, uh, Graham, has really educated me on. And uh, the first Saturday in May, which is coming pretty soon, Monkey Calendar, has free comic book day. At Green Dragon Comics and Collectibles. You may know this business savvy gal from Comic-Con. Because she really, really does a bang-up job. She's been going down there setting up her tables three or four years now. Green Dragon Comics. Give her a call. Uh, locate a service if you're missing one edition of your comic collection. Or you want to get the latest stuff out. Get on a mailing list for the releases. Or the sealed events or dual sealed events. Everybody comes in with their laptop and starts creating and building. Give her a call, 401-949-2076, Green Dragon Comics. Boy, they're making a comeback. Another destination business. That about covers all the commercials today. Except for, oh my God. Jeff Gamash would kill me if I didn't get this one out there. You know, Jeff, a local here, the IT guy, uh, what a brilliant uh, mind he has on the computers and stuff and programming with over 25 years' experience in the business. But he's got one, one fallacy. I don't know if you call it a fallacy or a niche or whatever. He loves and he's addicted to pizza, as we all know. And he's got this company rated in the top five. And he had to travel to Boroughville to the Bridgeton Triangle to prove it. We're talking about Cereal's Pizza Rimmer and Restaurant at Church Street, Pasco, otherwise Bridgeton Triangle if you're a local. And Cereal's is celebrating 52 years in business now. Three different owners, same location, and what a special on Tuesday. A large cheese pizza. That's a full 16 slices, rectangle shape, on a nice cornmeal crust. $6 every Tuesday. Give everybody a break in your family in the kitchen there. Take advantage of that deal. Dozen Doughboys, any day they're open for two fifty. dollars uh, Wednesday, they got a real nice scallop plate. Uh, this is with ice cold coleslaw and tartar sauce and those gorgeous french fries. $7.99. That is not a typo. I thought there was supposed to be a one in front of that because that's about the going rate. Uh, New England-wise, $7.99 for a scallop plate on Wednesday. Don't forget that about that marvelous uh, special on Sunday. It's uh, Dave St. Arnold special. Uh, dinner for two for $19.99. That's your choice of six to ten entrees, including soda, coffee, or iced coffee, and a homemade dessert. 
You can bring that home and watch that HBO series, The Outsiders, like I do. And they've already gone through eight episodes. That must be coming to an end on that. So did we get them all in? My God, I'm going through it. My wife would be proud of me. I don't have an email saying forget my ad. And, oh, yes, I did. I got one here. Alan Hopkins is saying, Wayne, remember, don't forget. Alan Hopkins, the proprietor of Weston Hill Auto, right there on Broncos Highway in Nasonville, right at the traffic light of Route 7 and 102. If you have a 2008 or newer car, truck, or a camper, why not just swing by Alan Hopkins here at Weston Hill Auto? He's there from 8 to 5 at 401-568-2324. Pocket full of cash. He always liked to have a few vehicles there on the lot and uh, really enjoys selling quality cars and trucks and campers. Weston Hill Auto. Was you insulted at the dealership? Swing by and Alan will put a smile on your face at Weston Hill Auto, 401-568-2324. And let all of us find sponsors at WNRI know that you heard the ads right here. Okay, we got that done. That one. We also, a big thank you to Aaron Kutchu for the great job he put on at the uh, Cumberland Library. Uh, we also signed up for the Borough of the Live Festival. We're going to have a strong presence over there September 19th and 20th. Uh, we're also going to be at the uh, Autumn Festival in Woonsocket. Uh, Garrett Mansuri has already put out the invitation to us and says, Wayne, just let me know how much uh, you need, you want for room and stuff like that. We're honored to have you back at the Autumn Fest uh, four consecutive years. I don't know if I should add this because it's not part of uh, Walter's Hour, but the audience has demanded it. Wayne, what did you do Sunday and uh, with the Historical Society over in Thompson? Okay. I'm going to include it to it because it's going to be in a future book, so I guess it's the author's hour. I went on a Lit It walk, L-I-T-H-I-C walk, on the Wurge property in a little town called Wilsonville, Connecticut. Uh, it's on Lowell Davis Road. It's actually the name of Lowell Davis Road is on one of the bridges that you have to go under. On 395, if that number, uh, name of a road sounds familiar to uh, I was personally invited by Joe Iamontino from uh, the Thompson Historical Society. And uh, I'm on his hot list. 77 people showed up. No snow, no mud, no ticks visible anywhere. We started off precisely at 1 o'clock. It was a, a one-hour, 115 guided tour through the woods. Uh, I would say about 1.3 to 1.8 miles one way. And over 100 uh, indigenous people, Carnes. But also the zoophoric structures that are down in that pot. It, it was just breathtaking. I took 77 quality shots. And the uh, guides, uh, Joe and an elderly woman in that group, uh, supplied all the Q&A that we could have ever, ever done. And what a great time that was. Uh, another great, great idea from the Thompson Historical Society on that. Uh, did you know that we have a fault that goes through New England? Someday we're going to have the big one here. I walked inside 
the fault on this property. And there's a lot of quartz material. And I think my theory for the book is why there's so many Karns and indigenous people, Indians, Nebuk Indians, and all the other ones, so many of these formations, the visiting Indians brought a rock with them and placed it on these monuments. That's why there's so many rocks and all these uh, monuments, I call them, Karns, from other parts of New England. The rock doesn't exist here, but how did it end up in that pile? I think it's because of that fault that went through there with all that quartz. And if you're in the right frame of mind or your physical chemistry, something happens to you when you get in that area. You know, I'm not saying woo sci-fi or something like that, but there's something to it. And uh, maybe that's why this is such a, a historical area for that. There was a dried up uh, stream bed there too, so there was plenty of water. Some of these are over 100 feet up in the air. And uh, one of them was a boat-shaped item, 25 feet long, 5 feet wide. He, he stood on top of it to do the speech. And there's another one, uh, Zumoric, uh, uh, structured there of three rocks all together. They make a formation of a turtle. And uh, I took pictures from that from east to west, west to east, and it really come out well. Uh, we're looking at uh, 10 o'clock right now and another uh, edition of the Author's Hour with the Voyage of Mercy by Stephen Puleo, available now for you. And remember tomorrow to have one of the best days of your life. Thank you to our fine spot. Remember to shop locally and to read a book. And tomorrow, please have the best day of your life. Your host, Wayne G. Barber.